Welcome to the Experience Darden Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to feature my recent conversation with Jing Xu. Jing is a rising second year student in our full-time MBA class of 2022, and she is also a student founder. Jing and I recently connected via Zoom to talk more about her venture, Kobuchi. I think you're really gonna enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is my interview with Jing Xu. Jing, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here, Brett. Super excited to be on it. Well, it's great to have you here. How are you doing? How's everything going? I would say all things considered fairly well. I probably should not have procrastinated on my final papers as much as I have been. (laughs) And for podcast listeners, finals are over Tuesday evening and today is Monday morning. So should definitely try to get to work after this. Um, But yeah, I feel good about everything I've accomplished last quarter and really excited about working on my venture Kabuchi this summer. And I just can't believe it's been a whole year. You know, it flew by, but simultaneously felt so long and just really amazed at all the growth and experiences I've had at Darden so far. Well, one of the things we've been asking folks here on the podcast is, did you pick up any hobbies, any, any pastimes in the midst of the pandemic? You spent a little bit more time at home. Anything that you got into this year? Yeah, I would say I definitely became much more of a plant mom this year. So... <laughs> I think my plant collection pre-COVID was about two, and now I've gone up to 12 and taken care of a lot of my friends' plants this summer as well. So hopefully we'll do a good job and they'll all survive. What's the last plant you purchased? Ooh, um, I'm not sure. I don't know the name, but it's that tree one that you can see in the background. All right. Well, um, always fun to talk plants. We've talked plants before. We've also talked watercolor. We've talked, um, I guess, drawing, uh, baking, cooking, any number of things here as we talked with people about pastimes and hobbies during the pandemic. So uh, with that as prologue, let's get into your story. So tell us about you and, and your background, Jane. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the Bay Area in a very STEM family. Both my parents have PhDs. My sister is an MD. So I like to joke that I'm the least accomplished person in my family. (laughs) Um, But joking aside, it's really wonderful to be able to talk science with them. And it helps nourish that part of me. I always like to think of myself as a scientist still, even though I am in business school now. So I did my undergrad in biology. And after graduating, I worked in healthcare strategy consulting in Philadelphia for a few years. Then I moved back to the Bay Area and I started working for biotech where I was doing clinical trial management. And now I'm here at Darden. So I'm on a slow journey into more uncharted and strange waters. And it's very thrilling. Was an MBA something you had always thought about? So... I definitely went through the classic pre-med academia phase when I was a biology undergrad, as most people do. I was fortunate that I realized those paths weren't right for me. And so during the last year of my undergrad, I pivoted and I started taking more business classes. And so while I was working, I always had it in the back of my mind that I would eventually go back to school and most likely an MBA. And then it just made a lot of sense by the time I applied. And what specifically about Darden resonated with you? How did you learn about the school? Yeah, I didn't know anyone who went to Darden. I found it through a Google search and, you know, like U.S. business news rankings. 
Um, but I was really looking at programs that were smaller in size. I really enjoy that strong community feel. My undergrad had only 250 people per class. So I knew I really liked that intimate feeling where you knew everyone's face and everyone's name. Um, I also, as I mentioned, did not come from a traditional business background. Um, so I really want a very strong foundation in business and also just the amazing faculty here who have really blown me away in my time here. They're so invested in us as people, not even just their students that I feel like that's super unique to Darden. So coming from more of a science background, uh, choosing business path, were there concerns that you had? Was there anything that you were nervous about as you, as you went down this path and anything that you did to sort of address um, those feelings? Great question. I think I was just nervous that there would be a part of me that wasn't being fulfilled in my journey into the business world. And I think working on my venture Kabuchi helps fulfill that scientific aspect of me inside where I can think about being very specific about how I want to take the recipe. And so in my mind, I can frame that as an experiment <laughs> and be really fascinated by the results. Um, I was also a bit worried that Darden is a very reading heavy uh, curriculum and, uh, you know, reading's not always my forte, but um, I just find the business cases so fascinating that it ended up working out very naturally for me. We make an interesting point about, about science and scientific inquiry. Um, what got you originally interested in science? What was the spark for you? My mother is a principal investigator, so she runs her own lab, and she was someone who could not leave business at work, and so she would often come home and talk to my sister and I about her experiments and her research, and so it was just very natural for me as I was growing up to become interested in it myself. So you come to Darden, you're a first year student. Um, one of the things that we've really enjoyed asking students about here on the podcast is the learning curves, the adjustments that students have to make in that first year, because they're always uh, adjustments. What were some of the learning curves for you? I think one of the learning curves for me was really just getting adjusted to the pace of Darden, as I like to call it, the Darden machine. <laughs> you don't really get a choice of, you know, oh, I only want to read 12 cases this week versus I only want to read four cases this week. Um, and also just all the socializing, you know, during COVID, I'm an introvert. I wasn't really talking to that many people. I was suddenly coming to Darden. Even though it was virtual, you still have the opportunity to interact with so many people. And I remember coming back after winter break and after the first few days, like my jaw was hurting because I was just used to talking again so much. Um, and uh, yeah, and going back to the business, this past quarter has just been super busy for me, non-academically with being on the UJC, on DSA, forming an agent advocacy group and Kabuchi going on all in the background. But in all the busyness, I've come to really enjoy all the leadership experiences that I've cultivated. Well, let's talk about some of those acronyms that you just mentioned. What's the UJC? So the UJC is the University Judiciary Committee. It's a UVA-wide body. And so our goal is to provide restorative and rehabilitative justice to students who um, have 
behavioral infractions. So not your typical like, oh, you cheated on exam. It's more like, oh, you were caught underage drinking. What's the best way for you to think about your actions? All right. And DSA, we've talked about it a bunch, but um, what is your role on the DSA? So my role is I'm the UJC representative. And so I mostly act as a liaison between DSA and the UJC and keep each other apprised of anything that's going on. But in it, I also just get to do fun work on DSA, on whatever I'm interested in. What attracted you specifically to the UJC? Is that a similar role to roles you've had in prior educational experiences, or was this new for you? It was new for me. Um, I was attracted to it because sometimes Darden, I feel like it can be its own little bubble within UVA. And so I wanted to understand Central Grounds more and interact with students from other schools more. And... Uh, Restorative justice is something that I've become more interested in as I get older. And so it felt like a great application for that. So you mentioned being from the Bay Area, coming to Charlottesville. Do you have questions about, about Charlottesville and you know, what living in a, a smaller town might be like? Or it sounds like maybe that was something that appealed to you, given your emphasis on sort of a small community. Yeah, it definitely did appeal to me, and I was excited to live in a college town, and it's my first time living in one, and I will say I really enjoy how everything is a 10 to 15-minute drive away from the school, and it's very convenient, and Charlottesville is what I will also call like a very granola area, <laughs> just lots of fun farmer's markets and domain nearby farmers, and just the local produce is really great. Um, and I was fortunate that when I applied, I had the opportunity to come interview in person during round two of last year. And so being able to walk around Charlottesville just helped seal the deal for me. It's a great place. There's more happening than people might think when they hear that description, college town. Um, and of course, you have everything that's happening at the university, not to mention all the things that just happen in Charlottesville. So um, lots to do and, and nice to have maybe a little bit more elbow room at this particular time, easy to get outside and you could be doing a hike, you could be outdoors somewhere, you'd be at a vineyard pretty quickly, as you know, about a 15, 20 minute drive. Yeah, definitely. And I really enjoyed getting outdoors. I'm big into hiking and I've done old rag twice already in my time here and I just love being so close to Shenandoah and going camping and all of that. It's so wonderful. Well, let's shift and talk about your student venture, Kobuchi. Uh, what was this? What was the idea? For, where did this come from? Um, and, and tell us a little bit more about, about what exactly your business is about. Yeah. So I'll frame it in two parts. I'll talk about what the business is and then how I got to it. Uh, so Kombucha makes coffee kombucha beverages for our listeners who are not familiar with kombucha is a fermented tea beverage. And so natural yeast and bacteria digest the sugars in the drink to create acids. And there are some probiotic benefits to it. And it's a live beverage. Um, so coffee kombucha is fermented coffee, which also means that it has more caffeine than traditional kombucha and is great as an afternoon pick me up. <clears throat> excuse me, or for someone who may be too sensitive for coffee normally. And so how I got this idea. So I did not invent this myself. This was a recipe that existed online already. Um, but so I was making it a lot this summer before Darden during COVID and was just giving it to my friends and family. And 
they all enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting. And I remember it was 4th of July. I came home and the idea struck me and it was, this could be a business. I'm going to business school, like kind of a why not. And so I did some online research. It seemed like there's a real white space in the retail area for this. I love the product so much that it just seemed, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, that seemed very natural for me to continue working on it. And I'm really into product innovation. And so what really excites me about working on the venture is coming up with these new flavor combinations and then also just doing tastings with people and having them have no idea what it's going to taste like, take a sip, have that look of surprise on their face, and then tell me that it's much better than they thought. It's an interesting thing because I have had kombucha. I think some people are a little intrigued by this beverage. You look at it there in the grocery store, you can see you can see sort of the sediment at the bottom. I think for some people, it's, a, it's an intimidating beverage. How do you work through that uh, with folks? Yeah, great question. I think it's really the novelty that draws people in initially. And they are just so curious about what it's like. And just asking them to take one sip is not a big ask for a lot of people. And one of the things that I found really interesting about this is, so I turned Kabuji into my consumer behavior project, which is a class here about marketing at Darden. And so we did a lot of tastings. And what we found is people who liked kombucha didn't necessarily like the beverage more, but people who drank more coffee tended to like the beverage more. And so it's a really interesting problem that I'm hoping to tackle more this summer about like, how can you draw people in when I'm not physically there to be like, hey, come taste this. It feels like a com pretty competitive market. You have some pretty big players in the kombucha world. Um, there's a how I built this interview with the health aid founder. Um, and so, which I thought was super interesting, but that similar challenge going from farmer's markets, essentially to a national stage. How do, how do you puncture that market? Where do you start? Yes, great question. It's something I'm definitely still trying to figure out. And I'm not sure if even positioning the beverage as kombucha is necessarily the right way to frame it necessarily. Um, what I'm hoping to get out this summer though is really trying to understand the brand positioning and what resonates with customers. And I feel like that'll give me a lot of guidance on the best way to move the product forward. I think there are a lot of ways to position it, whether it's probiotic, healthy coffee, or just you know like less caffeinated version of coffee. Um, that might be more attractive to people and help me, as you put it, really puncture the kombucha market. Um, a lot of people told me that CPG is very tough and competitive. And that's something that I know in the back of my mind. And that helps give me resilience as I move forward and I run into obstacles. So are you making all the kombucha right now? Yes, I am. <laughs> I was... I've been fortunate and I will bring up Damon DeVito now. Um, Damon DeVito, wonderful professor here at Darden. I got connected with him early on because of Startup Academy. And so he's just been an amazing resource for me here at my time. And he's been letting me use the Glenmore Country Club's pool kitchen these past few months to make the product out of, which has been super wonderful. <laughs> 
And kombucha is more like a science experiment. Um, you make it and it obviously ferments and sits for it. What's the process look like? I'm sure some of our listeners maybe have consumed the final product. I watched a Vice video not so long ago about the making of kombucha, which is, it's it's something to see. Um, so if, if you have not seen what it actually looks like, it's worth, worth checking out. But describe your process, Jane. What does it look like? Yeah, so I basically make cold brew coffee. That's my first step. And then I'll add some of the mother batch. So it's a batch of coffee kombucha that I've just left going for multiple months now. And so I'll take a small portion of that and put it into the cold brew coffee. Then I basically just let that ferment. And then I'll add whatever flavoring to it, whether it's peach juice or coconut water. And then it'll go through a secondary fermentation. And then that's the finished product. How do you figure out your flavors? I was surprised to hear peach and, and coconut. Yeah, I, so there are two different uh, flavor options. There's a lighter one that's called Liftoff. It's supposed to be less, cave- less caffeinated. It's much more fruit forward. And that's the one that's peach juice in it. And then the second one uh, uses a dark roast coffee. It has more caffeine. It's supposed to taste closer to coffee. And that one uses coconut water. So I picked coconut water for that one because I felt like it was the least offensive on the flavor palette or like least noticeable for a natural juice in a sense. And then peach juice, I just love peaches. So, <laughs> How long did it take you to perfect your recipe? And maybe this is still part of an ongoing process. Do you feel like you've really hit upon this is how I make my product or are you still tweaking at this point? I think there will forever always be tweaking in my mind, but it has settled into a nice low point where the recipe really isn't changing that much anymore. And you had mentioned sort of customer feedback. Has that been, how has that changed your approach or have you been able to use that so far? And even thinking about your flavors or your approach to making the kombucha, any, anything that that's, that's helped you think about? Oh, definitely. I think a lot of the feedback I got from initial batches was that it, there was a very strong mouthfeel, which can be good or bad, um, and that the product was a bit thick in the mouth, a bit syrupy, is, I guess the better way to phrase it. So I, I think that's helped me come to realize that it's better to just thin it out a little bit more and make it a little less sweet, and so that increases the drinkability of it. So the customer feedback is really important for me. And sometimes it's a bit difficult to narrow down which customer feedback to follow because it can be very heterogeneous. <laughs> um, and I think with this is one of the benefits of a CPG product as well as that my opinion on the flavor drives a lot of it. So ultimately, at the end of the day, I just like to create a product that I personally would enjoy consuming. So did you imagine that you would be launching a venture uh, as part of your business school experience? I had always been interested in entrepreneurship. And when I was looking at different business schools, that was a factor for me. And so I was very happy to get accepted to Darden and come here because of that. I did not think I would be working on this during first year because First year is notoriously busy with core. And so I figured, oh, I'll just keep this in the back of my mind, do some market research in my first year, maybe like this summer, 
it was somewhere in between first and second year is when I'll start actually working on it, work on it second year. As I mentioned before, Damon DeVito, <laughs> Startup Academy, gave this really passionate speech, which I know you've heard, about how most entrepreneurs don't start early enough at their time at Darden, and by the time they graduate, their ventures aren't far enough along where they can really commit to working on it, and a lot of people just have regrets about not starting earlier at Darden, and therefore that put the fear of God into me, and I was like, oh, I must start now. <laughs> What, what led you to start uh, sign up for Startup Academy? Uh, I'm curious because uh, that is, you know, pre pre orientation. It's before matriculation. It's one of these things that students, you know, can do prior to the start of, official start of school. Um, what led you to say Startup Academy? That's right for me. Yeah, well, I had the idea for this, and so that was July 4th, and so I was like, oh, I feel like Jordan has something for me that's very similar that might help me out. Um, and it was a pretty low time commitment. I think it was only a couple of hours each day. And so I was like, yeah, I'll just do this, see what it's like, decide if entrepreneurship is for me or not, or just get a better taste for what it's like. And a lot of the, and I got introduced to effectuation very early on because of that. And for the listeners, effectuation um, are these principles developed by a professor here, Sarah Sarasvati, and they are the principles that very seasoned entrepreneurs follow when they are creating their own venture. And the whole idea is that you don't predict the future, you create the future that you want. And so I felt that that was really fascinating for me. And honestly, working on my ventures helped me so much, even going through core, because anytime I feel a little disengaged from the material, I can just apply it to my own venture. And then I'm back in the game. So how did you find time for all of this? I mean, one of the constant conversation topics as part of the core curriculum and that first three quarters in particular of the first year is how busy students are. So how did you find time in the midst of you know, school, social, career um, to, to work on your venture as well? Yeah, so this has been one of my bigger lessons at Darden is <clears throat> just being very intentional with my time and uh, obviously certain you know there's only 24 hours in the day I like to get eight hours of sleep there's only so much time one has but I just chose to continue working on it and just would make the time and so whether that was reading cases in between classes or reading cases while I was on the stand-up bicycle in the morning you know, I managed to carve out the time to specifically work on it. So you were recently featured as part of a story on the Darden Report about the KPI Club and um, wonder how that organization has been helpful to you or that group is probably the better way to describe it, how that group has been helpful to you along your, your startup journey. Yes, I love the KPI Club. I'm constantly just so impressed by the work that the other ladies are doing in it. The KPI Club stands for Key Progress Indicators. And so this was formed by my roommate, Megan Ash, at the beginning of the school year. And it's basically a club where female entrepreneurs can come together and just talk about updates and what their plans are for these two-week sprints. And the club has helped me so much because I've gone through many lows <laughs> during my time working on Kabuchi and 
I've been going through this very long regulatory process to get kabuchi approved and that's not very exciting and it's difficult for me not to want to constantly be doing things and so being in the club has just helped me stay accountable on what I can accomplish and also it there's just so much moral and emotional support with each other anytime anyone's having a hard time we can take a pause and just really try to give that person all the support that they need. So what has been the biggest challenge for you getting started here? One of the things that was interesting from Elizabeth Blankenship's conversation that we had here on the podcast is that Damon actually challenged her to go do the thing that was scariest to her. Um, And it was a sourcing question that she had. Um, have there been things like that for you that have been, gosh, if this doesn't work out, I'm not sure if my business is, is actually going to work or is going to be sustainable or if there have been, have there been challenges that you've worked through over this past year? I would say the biggest challenge for me is really going through this regulatory process because when I first started working on the venture, I had no idea I would need it like as quickly or as early in the venture than what it turned out to be. I always imagined that, oh, I would sell at farmer's markets for a year, build up a good customer base, and then I would have to get regulatory approvals. I tried to sell in grocery stores, and that was just totally not the case at all. Even to sell in farmer's markets, I needed regulatory approval. And so at first, when I found out this news, it just felt like this huge rock had fallen right in front of me. And I was like, how do I get around it? And just by slowly going through the process has helped me a lot. And I'm very much less phased now when I run into obstacles because the biggest obstacle in my mind had already occurred. And so everything else, I'm very confident that I can just figure it out. And what does that regulatory process look like? I mean, our listeners probably have not been through this kind of thing with a, with a CPG product before and trying to get a kombucha to market. I mean, when you say regulatory process, what, what does that mean? Yeah, so kombucha is unique in CPG products because it requires this. Whereas, you know, if I was just baking bread or cookies, I wouldn't necessarily have to be going through this. Um, So kombucha, it has the potential to generate alcohol. And so therefore, you have to make it in a way where you can ensure that it won't go over 0.5% alcohol. Um, And so it's kind of a three step process where you get the product tested for alcohol, then you get reviewed by a process authority for your production method to make sure that it's safe, it's consistent. And the third step is done by the state of Virginia, and they look at where you're making it. Do you have any allergen cross-contaminations? And then once that all is done, then you can legally sell it to anyone. So much for a a simple idea of just trying to get a beverage to market. (laughs) Lots to work through. Yes, lots to work through. But the timing is actually quite fortunate because... It all happened during the majority of my first year, and I'm really looking forward to this summer getting the approval of really being able to take off and get into a grocery store, sell on draft, be in the farmer's markets, and just really get the name out there. So how, how will you be spending the summer? Um, where are you with, with Kobuchi right now? Yeah, so I'm hopefully only 
a couple weeks away from regulatory approval, which is very exciting for me. And it's great to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right now, I'm really trying to network with as many coffee shop owners as I can because there's a really natural pairing there where I take their coffee and ferment it and we can sell it in the coffee shop as a nice afternoon offering. Um, And I'm also just trying to network with as many restaurants and grocery store owners as well, just figure out where the best place to sell it initially will be. Are people receptive to those conversations? Some people are very receptive, which is positive for me. It's a slower process than I would have liked, though. I would imagine. Um, do they see you as competition uh, for those for the coffee shops, or are they just more curious about what the product? Uh, I wonder what kind of questions they ask when you show up and say, "Hey, I've got this uh, coffee-based kombucha. I think it might work well here." What, what's on their mind? So a couple of coffee shops already sell kombucha and they also sell tea products. I think in their minds, they see it as a replacement for those sales. And potentially we're not at this level of conversation yet, but, you know, they might get better margins on doing a collaboration with me. Um, And maybe it just attracts more customers to them in the afternoons, which are typically uh, less peak hours for coffee shops in general. So uh, I hope that they don't see it as competition. <laughs> well, an entrepreneur's work, it sounds like, is, is never done. You're always having to think of something and, and be responsive to, I mean, you're, you have different audiences, right? So it's regulatory process, but now you're kind of in the process of developing these relationships, going to market and having to listen to those stakeholders. Yeah, definitely. And their concerns are very different than the end consumers. And so... That's also what I really enjoy about entrepreneurship is being the hub of the wheel and having to manage all these competing priorities and interests and just coming out with the best product at the end of the day. So how has Darden or the resources through the Batten Institute or just the community here, how, how have these things been helpful to you along your, your startup journey? They've been super helpful. I've done so many tastings with Darden students and the student community is just so positive and so supporting to me. It's really wonderful. Um, The Batten Institute has also been really wonderful. I'm in Who's Venturing right now, which is a group of UVA entrepreneurs that just meet semi-weekly, very similar to the KPI club. And we meet with Jason Brewster and Mary Andrews and just talk about what we've got going on and make any asks. Asks are big for entrepreneurs. And basically, you're, it literally is just an ask. Like you're just asking someone to do a favor for you, like connect you with someone else. Can you feedback on a product or something like that? Um, and I also got access to the Entrepreneurial Law Clinic this past month. And so that was Super fun for me. My two student lawyers, Zane Clark and Matthew Cook, were super wonderful. They gave me a ton of documents, um, which was awesome for me. I'm a solo founder, so everything I do for Kabuchi is the only person doing work for it, basically. So it's always wonderful to get free access to resources. So I wonder... Jing, do you have advice that you would share uh, with our prospective student listeners? It could be about Darden, it could be about 
you know, founding, running um, a startup uh, venture, any, anything that you'd want to share here? Honestly, this could be a whole podcast in itself, <laughs> but I think the one thing that I've really been reflecting on is I came to business school to bet on myself. And so for prospective students, I know it can be a really scary or difficult decision to leave the workforce and go back to school. So I would tell them to bet on themselves. And also Darden is a place where I find it really rewards the effort that you put in. And so it's just so important to be really intentional about how you spend your time here and which connections you want to make and what impact you want to have. I love that idea of betting on yourself and, and taking, taking this leap and, and this step in, in your professional development. Um, well, Jing, thank you so much for sharing so, so many insights about where you are with Kobuchi right now. Look forward to hearing more. I think it's one of the fun things about these entrepreneur conversations uh, here is that you're talking to people who are in the midst of a process and you know that it's not, it's not the end and there are going to be other, other updates. So we look forward to hearing more, but best of luck over the summer and, and hope, uh, well, hope everything goes well with Kobuchi. Thank you so much, Brett. And whenever you want to have me on again, super happy to give those updates. <laughs> and that was my interview with Jing Shu a student in our full-time MBA class of 2022. Since we recorded this episode, Jing wrote in with some exciting updates regarding her kombucha brand. She noted that she has since received regulatory approval and can begin selling kombucha at farmer's markets, as well as in Rebecca's Natural Grocery in the Charlottesville area. So on behalf of the podcast, congratulations, Jing. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.